You're listening to All Things Video, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is Brendan Gahan, Chief Social Officer for Mechanism. Brendan, hey. welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Excited we get to do this. We've known each other forever. I feel like I met you way back when in my ad tech days before, you know, I even really knew what this whole digital media industry was all about and uh, kept in touch through my time in influencer marketing at, on the creator network agency side and then you know, with Paladin. So um, it's been years and it's cool to finally get a chance to really sit down with you and hear about more of your journey. Yeah, I'm pumped. Thanks. Thanks for having me. This will be fun. Totally. So, you know, starting things off, take us back to the start, right? Where, what was your earliest experience with social media that you can remember? Yeah, so um, I, I graduated from college in 2005 and I got an internship in advertising. And um, I was supposed to be, like, I eventually got hired and I was a junior account executive, which I was awful at, you know, not organized or any of these things. But it was that era where social media was just becoming a thing. And being one of the younger people in the office, people would just sort of inevitably be, you know, picking my brain. And so I, I, I got thinking about the space quite a bit and just sort of started proactively pitching ideas. And um, uh, I sold one through, we, we were about to pass on this client because they didn't have that much money. I was like, why don't we just pitch them working with these YouTubers? And so my, you know, the, the, the partners of the agency were, um, very cool and we're like sure go for it um, and I did and the client bought it and we ended up working with Smosh who you know we, we all know is massive and this was in 2006 uh, you know we crashed the client's website all that and uh, it was great so I was like okay this is this is the the space that I want to be in and sort of just um, never looked back that's awesome. So you start, you know, in the agency world. And I know over the years, you've spent time in LA, the Bay Area, New York, right? And for now, at least you've kind of, you've kind of settled in New York. So what drew you to the other side of the country originally from California? Uh, that's a good question. Um, well, uh, basically, what drew me was, uh, I sold my, my company, I started the small agency, and I, I sold it to Mechanism. And as part of the deal, um, I had to move to New York, but to be honest, I was, I was practically living here anyways. Uh, you know, um, when I was doing my own thing, um, the, the majority of our clients were in New York. I was here all the time. I, I started, you know, dating um, a woman here who is now my fiance. And uh, so I, I, you know, I pretty much, uh, I was practically living in New York anyway. So it was an easy decision. <laughs> nice. And this is kind of your second tour of duty with Mechanism, right? So you, you joined them early on, then you had a brief stint at full screen. And like you said, kind of went out on your own and, and launched your own social agency, which was later acquired by, uh, by Mechanism. That was Epic Signal. So tell us a little bit about um, you know, Epic Signal and, and what was the original inspiration behind it? Yeah, for sure. So um, in terms of Epic Signal, really... I mean, to be honest, I, I, I left full screen and I did not need to, to, to set out and start a company. Um, I really thought I was going to sort of freelance and consult and kind of reevaluate what it was that I wanted to do. Um, but, you know, influencer marketing was just popping off in a way that it had never 
happened like that before. And, um, you know, at that point, whatever, this is like 2013. So I'd been doing influencer marketing for seven years and like pretty much, I mean, no joke, almost, well, not all my clients, but a ton of the clients that I'd worked with or, you know, former uh, agency co-workers, um, friends, acquaintances, all these people started coming out of woodwork and were like, hey, you know, we, we need to figure out what our influencer strategy is. Can you help us? Because that was the thing that like I'd just been doing and there weren't that many people, you know, at least compared to now doing that. And um, so I kind of just fell into to doing that and I took on more work than I myself could handle. So I hired people and had a nice little boutique agency doing uh, uh, influencer marketing and, and a little bit of helping brands with like their YouTube content strategy and that sort of thing. Very cool. And had you always considered yourself an entrepreneur? I mean, you had these ideas about consulting or kind of sitting out on your own and figuring out what you wanted to do. Was it natural to just start an agency or did you kind of stumble into it? Um, I definitely stumbled into it. I, I would say um, before that, I was very much an entrepreneur. Like I, I always kind of carved out my own niche. And, and um, I think it's in large part because I like the process of, of figuring out how to do something. And, and so anything that was relatively established, I didn't like the fact that there would be, you know, processes or, you know, people who were, you know, just by the nature of being earlier, were more senior. And um, so I, I kind of always gravitated towards these sort of edge cases. Um, and, you know, back in whatever, 2006, 2007, influencer marketing was, you know, people didn't even know what to call it. There were no processes. And so it was like, it was great. I was all in, you know, in, in that and just social media in general. Very cool. So what was the hardest part about being a first time founder when you, you know, hung the shingle and launched Epic Signal? Oh my God. There were so many things that were hard. <laughs> I mean, that's ultimately why I sold because I, I, I was just, um, I was burnt out. Like I was working nonstop, like, uh, you know, um, in the pressure of sort of being the sole, like real, you know, leader uh, in the organization was really hard. I, I had talked to a couple of friends about kind of joining up and um, being business partners, but the timing sort of just never worked out. And I think had, had I found somebody that I could sort of, um, you know, uh, collaborate with and maybe we could kind of shoulder the burden together, it would have been a bit easier and I probably would have been a bit more inclined to keep going. But um, it, uh, I, I really just enjoy doing the work and the strategy and, and seeing things being brought to life. The, the idea of sort of growing the business for growing the business sake, I, I was less interested in. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was very much a happy accident. That's awesome. And it sounds very much like what you do focus on today at Mechanism, right? In addition to you know, executing on these client uh, deliverables and thinking about the strategy and executing the work. You know, I also uh, consider you one of the foremost thinkers about our space, right? You're constantly researching, experimenting, posting about, you know, the things that you're curious about and are, are testing in, in this landscape. 
Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really, I like the experimental aspects for sure. And, um, you know, if there's some new emerging platform, like I, I love pitching that to a client being like, Hey, why don't we do the first ever blank or if some new feature comes out, let's do, you know, let's be the first to jump on it. Um, that's, that's, I think the, the aspect of the business that I enjoy the most. Very cool. So yeah, a lot of firsts this year. And I know you've had um, a few experiments that you've been, uh, you know, leaning into. Can you share some of the stuff that you've focused on in 2020? Sure. Um, well, let's see. From a, a first standpoint, um, let's see. There were probably a couple, but the one that maybe jumps out for me, I think, is we did a, um, we actually did a Triller branded hashtag challenge, which was mm -hmm. pretty cool. Um, it was for a pro bono campaign and we got Curtis Roach, the board and house guy to sort of create a custom song for us. So that was really exciting. I think, nice. um, you know, Triller is, is uh, I think culturally in a, a bit of a different place from TikTok. It's a little bit more niche, um, but uh, I really, I don't know. It, it, it was a lot of fun to do something like that. Um, we've done a handful of TikTok branded hashtag challenges and those are amazing as well although i don't i think those were we did those before this year mm. um so that's something that uh, i think was like one of those experimental things i really enjoyed doing that comes to mind um the other thing that is probably relevant is more of a personal one which is uh, i made a goal of sort of putting myself out there a lot more this year historically i think i very much um you know i spent so much time on client work i I didn't really focus on my own, uh, whatever, you know, personal brand, thought leader, whatever you want to call it, you know? Sure. But, uh, so I made it a goal to sort of start writing um, and just putting myself out there. And so that led to me posting on LinkedIn every day. And then I re rebuilt my blog and launched, I just launched a newsletter and I started a TikTok um, maybe about four months ago. And that's been really fun to sort of, apply a lot of those things you know work and like you, you it's totally your responsibility to do it and um that that's that's been a lot of fun that's awesome so why tiktok what made you gravitate towards the platform and what have your key learnings been so far yeah um i mean ultimately i think the reason for tiktok is the organic reach is just other level like there's nothing, there's nothing like it. Um, I think, you know, I, we, we saw, we did multiple brand hashtag challenges and saw sort of the scale that, and, and the, the impact and the participation, which was just unprecedented in so many ways. And so that sort of got me thinking a bit, but that was a while ago. And then, you know, my fiance has an account and, you know, some of her TikToks just right off the bat just blew up and, um, and it's one of those things where it's like, you know, that this is a big deal and you should do it. But like the fear of putting yourself in front of the camera is ultimately the thing, uh, that was stopping me anyways. And, and finally I just kind of was like, I, I should just do it because it's like, I, I'm, you know, my goal was to sort of put myself out there and like doing it on LinkedIn is cool and it's fun, but the the growth is very slow and um i'm i 
generally think I'm a, a probably I skew a little bit on the Shire side. So I thought it would be good to sort of get over, you know, putting myself in front of the camera or talking in front of the camera. And so it was really just a fun challenge, I guess. That's awesome, man. Good for you. I mean, I, I, uh, that resonates with me a lot because as someone, uh, I, I share a lot of those same sentiments. Like it took me forever. It took me five years to launch a video version of a podcast <laughs> on all things video. <laughs> so I feel you just in terms of like, you know, all the logistics of figuring out how to do video content and then, you know, putting yourself out there. And I need to do a better job of like posting on LinkedIn. I've, I've been trying to do a bit more of that this year, but I should do more of a concerted effort like you and Bill Ranta and all these other you know, great minds that are constantly sharing cool updates on, on the platform. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, honestly, like the, the connections and, and um, relationships that I've uh, formed as a result have really been great. And, and, you know, and working on these big brands, and I'm sure it's, you know, the same way for you, you, you're working with a bunch of clients, and it's not, you know, you're working with a lot of other people, and a lot of people are weighing in on things, and they're smart, but oftentimes you've got something you want to do, and so it's nice to kind of own something. Uh-huh. That's, that's a big aspect that I really enjoy. So when can we expect the rest of the Brendan Gahan media empire? When are we going to see Instagram, and YouTube, and Facebook, and Twitch? Yeah, one thing at a time, but uh, I mean, I, you know, I've got, I don't, Instagram for me is like very, uh, not actually that big on it personally. Like I'll, I'll post like if I'm traveling somewhere, there's some big kind of, you know, I don't know, like a holiday or something like that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I would like to do more. I think it's really just a cost benefit at the time. So maybe once I get some momentum and like, I feel like, the newsletter has some real traction. I'll, I'll start to, to build on top of that. There we go. Well, talking a little bit about TikTok, you know, this really feels like it's been the year for short form, you know, looping video. Uh, of course, you know, Vine introduced us to this concept years and years ago, but it's really had this resurgence, you know, brought on, spurred on by, by TikTok, certainly, but, you know, TikTok facing legal challenges from the Trump administration and giving rise to these TikTok clones like Triller and other kind of local versions. Um, seeing that play out in other countries too, like India, which banned TikTok, and now 67% of, of market share has been, you know, these local competitors that have emerged. And then, of course, Instagram getting into the game, Snapchat, YouTube getting into the game with, with kind of copycat products. Why the gold rush? Why now? And, you know, why are people leaning into short form video? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, <clears throat> I think there's a bunch of answers. And I think one is um, it's big in China. And, and, you know, this, this format has been proven to work really well. And, um, you know, I, I was reading some stats the other day, um, 50% of the, I think more, more than 50% of the Chinese population opens um, Douyin, the, the Chinese version of TikTok every single day, which is insane. That's like, I don't know, uh, 600 plus thousand people. Uh, or sorry, 600 plus million people. That's right. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, way off there. Um, so, so they're a bit of a leading indicator, I think, in a lot of ways of, of what we can expect here in the U.S. Um, they went from sort of, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, copycats just, you know, maybe five, ten years ago to now the, the innovators and, and everyone else is sort of trying to catch up. So, 
Um, I think that's a factor. And I also think the format is just really clever and smart. If you think about it, it's full screen video, it's short form. Um, so uh, you've got to be quick and punchy and it really lends itself to scrolling. And I, I've seen some people share some stats. I don't know where they got this data or whatever, but it, it makes sense to me. And it's that um, people watch an average of 200 TikToks per session, but on Instagram, it's about 100. Uh, Twitter, it's about 75 tweets. And on YouTube, it's like, I think, two to three videos or something. Um, and if you think about that, that that's so many um, opportunities to sort of uh, get sticky content in front of people to learn what they like. It's I mean the learning opportunities like are insane. They can really zero in on okay this person likes this, so we can make the experience that much more sticky. And um, and then you know it's easy to incorporate a lot of ads. So I think that that form function is is um, just really inherently viral and probably a great business model. Yeah, no, super smart. And it's, it's uh, I was talking to Ricky Ray Butler about this exact kind of question the other day. And it's interesting because he touched on similar themes. We both kind of agreed that TikTok is fun, right? It's like easy, it's casual. And so for that reason, creators really love it. And it doesn't feel as, I don't know, stuffy or traditional as some platforms like Instagram, Facebook, YouTube have, have grown to become. There's kind of a, there's, you know, these acceptable practices on each of those platforms. And if you don't kind of fit in the mold, you know, it's harder to maybe build an audience or feel like you belong. But on TikTok, it's kind of like anything goes right now. Yeah. 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 I agree. And I, I think there's a little bit of like rebellion to that, like Instagram FOMO, like I'm beautiful. Like, that that perfection, I think, is is alienating to a lot of people, and you know makes you feel pretty shitty sometimes, probably. And and there is something really refreshing around TikTok because like there's so much random stuff, so many smart people, so many goofy people, and it's it's a you know, it's less of like look at me and look at this awesome life I'm living, and more like look at this clever thing I came up with. Yeah, totally. And I think your point too about how um, the Chinese market is a leading indicator for what's going to happen in North America, you know, Western Central Europe, et cetera, is a good one. Um, you know, it feels like, you know, we're not just behind in short form video, but also live streaming, social commerce, right? All of these things that are just accepted practice in China and are, are prevalent across all these platforms, only now starting to really gain more traction and attention in the West. Yeah, 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 I completely agree. I think the the, the live streaming thing, um, live streaming plus e-commerce, um, that, you know, QVC with influencers, that is just going to be, I mean, it's massive in China. It's like 136 billion in e-commerce sales this year. I'm sure it's going to be really impactful here. And we're already starting to see, I think the platforms are really sort of preparing for that. You know, you saw so many features getting rolled out to support um, social commerce and, and live commerce in particular. Um, from the social side, you saw, you know, Facebook shops rolling out features, you know, you can do live selling. Um, uh, uh, there was an announcement that um, YouTube is gonna be rolling out something similar. 
Uh, and then from the, the commerce side, you see Amazon rolling out Amazon Live. And I mean, they've got that live tab on the homepage. And, um, you know, given the kind of shot in the arm that live streaming got this year, it makes, makes a lot of sense. I think it, um, this year, if I remember correctly, I think eMarketer said that um, live streaming reached like the 2023 20, projections or something like that. Wow. In, in terms of adoption. So, sure. Yeah, um, no concerts, no new, like live events, all of that just moved online. Like comedy shows, everything, it's just live streaming now. Yeah, yeah. And anecdotally, it's pretty funny. I talked to some friends who, you know, um, are, are creators and have just been dabbling in Amazon Live and they, uh, they're like, oh, it's amazing. Like you, you can sell so much and, you know, they get a, that affiliate fee. So um, I really think there's something there and the secret's sort of going to be out pretty soon. Yeah, for sure. Do you ever worry that, you know, all these social platforms are just starting to converge and offer the same thing? Like, I, I know that me and my co-founder Thomas kind of roll our eyes when, you know, a new platform introduces stories or, hey, now here's our TikTok competitor. It just feels like, where's the differentiation anymore, right? You used to go to Instagram and it was photos and then Snapchat had your kind of short form messaging. And now it's like, well, if they all do the same stuff, what really sets each one apart? Yeah. It's so annoying. <laughs> like I was just seeing today, um, let's see, uh, Facebook launched what I think is now their third TikTok competitor. So like they did Lasso um, before they launched Reels and they shut that down, I don't know, a few months ago. Then they launched La uh, sorry, then they launched Reels, which is obviously part of Instagram. And then they're, they're launching a new one. Um, I think it's called Collab. And um, it's a standalone app. And then they're also launching a cameo competitor. I, I saw like, um, yeah. And then like, you know, Snapchat doing spotlight and, mm -hmm. you know, even TikTok is going to be rolling out three minute long videos. So, you know, not that that's long form, but you can kind of almost see it as a little bit of a potential defensive play against like a YouTube or that yeah. sort of thing. So, yeah. It's like yeah. they're always constantly watching what's happening in the industry and saying, how do we get a piece of that pie too, right? Like even back in the early days of YouTube, when they rolled out Merch Shelf or when they, you know, acquired Faintbit to do branded content, it's like, okay, we see all of these businesses growing up around our platform. What can we do to get a piece of that? I remember when Patreon launched, it starts taking traction. YouTube's like, okay, we're launching Tip yes. Like all this stuff just feels like so reactionary to what's happening in the surrounding ecosystem. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's it's a bit frustrating and annoying, and especially because like, yeah, to your point, it's like before it was like, okay, Instagram is for this, Twitter is for this, and that that made it a bit easier to sort of plan for you know the brands that you know we're working with. But now it's you know. You're, you're formatting things for so many different platforms. It's, it's tough to sort of, you know, zero in on, on what's important and, and, you know, what battles to pick. Yeah, for sure. So some big news that came out this week that kind of ties into all of this is Reddit's announcement that they're acquiring Dubsmash, right? No, no real deal terms um, were communicated or, or uh, shared, but it seems like a, a pretty interesting move for Reddit, right? They, they've finally come out and shared their daily active users. They had pretty significant growth in traffic this month or this year, excuse me, but it tends to still be kind of a young male audience. And now they're trying to get into the video space. 
what do you think of the deal? What, is, what are your you know, thoughts on the future of, of Reddit? Yeah, it's, I thought that was really interesting and, and a bit of a head scratcher at first. Um, you know, it's, you know, very text versus, you know, video and app focus. And I feel maybe I'm wrong about this, but I, I kind of assume most of Reddit users are using desktop. I, you know, there's not a lot of immediate sort of parallels, but I think from a cultural standpoint, to a certain extent, it makes sense. You know, Reddit is almost like a feeding ground into, um, you know, all the other platforms in terms of like the memes and trends, like, you know, the thing that starts on Reddit, your mom is looking at a month later sort of thing. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of parallels um, to, to dub smash in that sense. And that, you know, a lot of the uh, really popular TikTok dances and trends emerge in dub smash, like, you know, the renegade, which was like the biggest, you know, biggest TikTok dance of the year. Um, you know, that, that stemmed from the dub smash community. So, I think from that sense, it sort of makes sense. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see how they sort of, um, what they do with that. Definitely. And I thought one of the coolest things that they emphasized as part of the news was that Dub Smash is so focused on diversity and inclusion, right? That the audience yeah. um, is you know, very inclusive of minorities, uh, you know, skews a little bit more female centric, which can be interesting too, to set offset, you know, what um, the traditional Reddit audience you know, looks like. So it's cool to see the a changing kind of cultural composition as a result. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Nice. So some other big acquisition news, uh, you know, this, this month has been Sony picking up Crunchyroll, right? So um, Warner Media and ATT kind of getting the Towson order and saying, hey, we're going to move this anime service over to Sony, which already owns Funimation, kind of bringing these two powerhouses together in a huge transaction. Um, what do you think of kind of like the, the niche SVOD uh, world and, and Sony's play there? Yeah, I think that's interesting. Um, you know, I'm, I'm less familiar with those specifically, but I can see the strategy in the sense that there's sort of, um, you know, I like this idea that a lot of businesses are just like bundling or unbundling things. And if you think about it, that's sort of like an unbundling. So it's like you can focus just on the anime audience. Mm -hmm. And in this era where there's sort of these broad platforms, you know, there's your Hulu, there's your Netflix and, and HBO Max and Disney Plus, like they're, they're all pretty broad for, you know, a general audience. So I could picture, you know, um, something like, you know, Crunchyroll really having a, a really passionate user base and um, that brand sort of being their differentiator in the sense that like, if this is all you watch, don't pay for all this other stuff. Like you might get one or two anime shows, just come here and like get everything you need. You're never going to run out. Um, so uh, from that standpoint, I think it's really interesting. And um, I wonder if that's just the way things are going to go until people realize they've got too many of these platforms they're subscribing to and then there's more bundling that happens again. Yeah, I mean that's kind of a common theme in media, right? It's constant bundling and unbundling as new technologies and formats disrupt the traditional, you know, um, ecosystem. But yeah, you know, I think what's interesting is if you look at assembling, okay, what's my premium entertainment lineup going to look like? 
your options today are cable and broadcast television, which continually look less and less appealing as prices go up and selection goes down. You have streaming services, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, HBO Plus, you know, uh, et cetera. Um, but then you also have, you know, these kind of TV replacement services like Sling or YouTube TV, which also have crept up in value you know, or cost over time. So it, it does feel like, you know, most people now lean towards, okay, I'm going to have my base level subscription, whether that's Amazon Prime Video, Netflix, et cetera. And then I'm going to kind of pick and choose my personal preferences. I like anime, I'm going to do this, or I'm a horror fan, I'm going to get Shudder, right? So it, it does feel like these niche content SVOD plays are smart because, you know, they're very cost effective for the super fan. And then, you know, if you think about the traditional cable bundle, you're paying for a lot of stuff that you're not interested in. And now you kind of can have a baseline plus your, your passion pieces and dollar per dollar, it's more value, but less cost than what you were getting before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and to a certain extent, you can see parallels with sort of like, you know, YouTube and Patreon. It's like, you've got so much content on YouTube, you're never going to run out. But like, maybe there's just one creator you like, and they release, you know, an exclusive video on, on YouTube from time to time. So it's worth it for you to just get that additional, um, you know, bit of content and pay for it. It's, it, it really is interesting. And like, I think it goes to show if you've got a, a, a you know a passionate fan base, you can you can really kind of monetize any any vertical. Yeah, I think that's been for me the most fundamental change in the last ten years is that when this business started, right back when you know we were running paid media campaigns or you were working on social strategy in oh five six seven eight, it's like okay the way that you can monetize is advertising. You're on YouTube and that's kind of it. And then you're praying and hoping and wishing that Facebook and TikTok and Instagram, all these other platforms will launch monetization. But for the most part, it's kind of been few and far between for creators, unless you're a big publisher or some breakout success story, which you know doesn't happen that often. So now that composition has totally changed. You can exist as a creator through direct-to-fan monetization. That's tipping, it's merchandise sales, it's, it was touring, right? I think we'll see that return, but live streaming or whatever, direct to your fan, fan clubs, things like that. That's the coolest thing for me is that all of these additional platforms and then the surrounding ecosystem have created other monetization opportunities for creators. I, I completely agree. And uh, I think it's incredibly exciting. And uh, it's an aspect of the business that I'm a little bit almost like envious of because I, I really think that's the, the, the future. And, and um, I think creators are making more money when they're doing it smartly. I mean, like we saw, okay, like David Dobrik, he, he launched the disposable camera app. And that initially it was like, you could pay for photos. Um, I think you could pay to unlock the photos faster. And maybe there was one or two other revenue streams. That thing blew up, got, 2 million installs, and now they're turning that into a social network. He launched a perfume, he just launched a puzzle that he sold half a million dollars worth of, you know, 30, you know, he sold 17,000 puzzles at, at 30 bucks a pop in an hour, and like, who knows wow. how long he sold total now. Uh -huh. So he made half a million bucks in an hour right there. Um, the, the, you know, Logan Paul on his uh, podcast a few months ago, he, uh, he shared that um, his first year selling merch, 
he made uh, he made thirty to forty million in sales. Like, you know, I don't know what his I don't know what his wow. profit margin is, but I'm sure it's pretty healthy. These these creator driven brands, I think, are really powerful, and we're just starting to see the beginning of them. And I think it makes so much sense that um, they would invest in themselves because it's like you're not just selling a product; you're kind of encouraging and sparking additional fandom. So it's kind of, you get a double whammy in a lot of ways. It's like, yeah. it's, it's two for one. <laughs> for sure. So now that we're, you know, drawing to a close here in 2020, it's a natural time to kind of think back and reflect on the year. Anything that stood out to you in 2020? I mean, obviously there's some big ones, right? Coronavirus and the impact on, on social media and the creator economy. But what are some of the key trends or themes that you've observed over the past year? Yeah, um, well, I think one that's really interesting is we've seen this sort of fractured uh, uh, media landscape um, with social in particular. And I think um, a lot of people skewing more towards their, like these private channels. So like Discord obviously exploded this year. Um, I, I was reading somewhere that it was like in early September when sort of the Among Us thing was like at its you know fever pitch, um, they're getting 800,000 installs a day, apparently. Um, you know, community, the text message platform, you know, Obama signed up for it this year. Um, so there's like sort of the, the dark social piece of it. Um, and then there's also like just emerging platforms. I mean, after Biden was elected, uh, we saw a lot of the right sign up for Parler and MeWe. Um, and then we've got all these sort of um, this whole ecosystem around TikTok, you know, Triller, Zin, uh, Dub Smash, you know, there's, there's a, you know, a ton of other ones. Um, so, yeah, the, I think one trend is this sort of fractured uh, social landscape and, and people skewing more towards um, congregating around their interests in private channels. Um, another one is definitely the live streaming um, commerce space. Live streaming exploded this year. I, I'm sure it might dip a little bit, but there's a new baseline that's established and that's, you know, it's just going to keep growing. And I think uh, commerce is going to be become a big part of it. Um, so I think that's another one. I think influencer marketing, a lot of brands hands were more or less forced this year. Um, into doing it when maybe they didn't do that much or they had never done it before because for a lot of them, they didn't have any other alternatives. It was mm -hmm. the only path they could go down um, if they wanted production. And have you seen good results from brands that were new to influencer this year that were trying, you know, influencer marketing campaigns for the first time? Yeah. Um, I mean, to be honest, I, I feel like it's very rare that we don't see good results of influencer marketing. <laughs> Um, it's, it's, I would say that's very much the exception rather than, rather than the rule. So overall, yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been great. And, and honestly, one of the added benefits of all this is, you know, with some of the brands that we work with, sort of like a handful of our brands, we do like, you know, really long influencer activations, like uh, year long activations. And so the creators they signed in January. Um, or, or even December of last year, I guess even as late as February, you know, we signed these year long deals and most of them have just seen massive growth. Like we signed some live streamers um, and, and I don't know, I think their audience is like tripled. So the, the rates we, we negotiated, 
um, uh, in, in, you know, January or whatever really paid off <laughs> in a big, big way. Nice. Yeah, I love that, um, the commentary on what we've seen this year and also some kind of leads into some predictions for next year. One of the biggest being, you're right, I think we're observing this massive shift in the social web from kind of the 1.0 era of YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, that were all about broadcasting yourself to a general wide audience. And this new kind of 2.0 era of social media platforms seems much more focused on, you know, individual identities, private communities, right? Whether that's Discord, um, community, as you mentioned, OnlyFans, right? Explosive growth this year, right? These are becoming the private social networks uh, that people, you know, might belong to, or you have kind of a different identity that you do on this Discord for this influencer you follow versus, you know, the if you're in politics and you're doing stuff in parlor, maybe we'll see some progressive alternatives to those platforms. That's a really fascinating thing to see is that fracturing is leading to, you know, these smaller subsets of identity and private closed door relationships rather than open broadcast formats. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. It'll be interesting to see how it, how it develops. And how do those platforms scale, right? I mean, if you've got, uh, I mean, we've, we've seen, you know, Department of Justice is saying, hey, we need to usher in this new era in which the advertising space and data collection isn't just dominated by a few huge giants. They're already looking into Google. They, you know, dropped the suit against Facebook just a couple of weeks ago. And um, they're threatening, you know, the, the Facebook Instagram acquisition that's now, what, eight years old. Um, so it, it feels like, okay, is this going to happen organically as a result of all these new platforms emerging? Or do we need policy changes? Do we need new legislation to protect these fledgling social platforms so that they can amass a significant audience, you know, reach advertisers, which ultimately feels like a good thing for consumers, for creators, and, and for brands. Uh, but how do we make sure that that happens in the right way? Yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. I also wonder if, you know, the end goal for all these platforms even needs to be scale. Um, you know, it's like, I think historically we've, we've thought about it as a necessity because it's, you know, it's all about sort of like, you know, as many eyeballs as possible. So you get like ad, you know, you're, you're like a necessity um, for advertising. Um, but I almost wonder if, if there's opportunities for these different platforms to really sort of own their niche and I mean, for lack of a better term, be content with that and, and make a nice living. Like maybe it'll never be a, a, a Google or a Facebook, but you know, they're, a, you know, a small team ish making you know, millions of dollars. Like, I, I don't know. I kind of wonder if there's going to be an evolution. I, I do have concerns about sort of the, you know, Facebook monopoly. I mean, I'm not super savvy from all that from like a data privacy standpoint and the implications, but the, the sort of way they do copy things. And then I think as a result, um, kind of uh, squash some of the, the competitors I, I don't particularly like, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I do think it'll be interesting to see if some of these platforms can really just be thriving businesses without having a billion people on the platform. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hopefully so. Uh, what other predictions do you have for next year? Anything else you're excited about or trends you're continuing to follow? Yeah, well, I, 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 I 
actually shameless plug I sign up for my newsletter because I'm rolling these out right now there I'm doing go. this like three-part blog post about or, or a series about sort of where I think things are headed and I think um, one is the rise of dark social um, which we've we've more or less already covered um, two is the the live streaming e-commerce that's just going to be through the roof um, and then three I think this is going to be the the creator, you know, influencer-led brands and products. I think that, you know, George Foreman model for influencers, you know, is really going to be the 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 next frontier for so many um, products. And it just makes sense because it's like the ultimate, um, you know, growth hack for a business. You've got the marketing just built in, like you 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 know, you've got whatever fifty percent of your costs just covered right there. So um and and i think the brands who are already sort of established that don't understand and um partner up with influencers in the same way that they do with maybe an athlete endorsement um uh, i think they're going to be really left behind i mean what we so many brands they go and they work with an influencer and they pay them to do one video or whatever yeah yeah and like what if like think about the parallels of of that to to other aspects of advertising what if nike you know had done that with jordan like then adidas had paid him for another game like it'd be idiotic like it wouldn't have an impact and so i don't understand why these principles um or, or brands have had such a difficult time wrapping their head around these sort of core principles and and not carry them over to to influencer marketing yeah i think you're right and we've seen the success right of of longer term brand ambassador programs where you know you really you know see a a, a truly incredible partnership between a brand and an influencer that they can create something so special and unique together that wouldn't have been possible on their own right if the influencer doing his or her thing versus a brand trying to think of you know its traditional communication strategy it's really special when you can bring those two together and think over a long-term horizon. Okay, what are the tentpole things that the brand needs to hit this year? What stories is the influencer really passionate about sharing with his fans and, and you know uh, engaging the audience around? And that's you know those are the most special types of influencer activations that that we've seen for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and look at um, the Ryan's World phenomenon. I mean, uh, I think it was reported he's he's made 250 million in, in merch sales this year off of his toy lines, his toothpaste, wow. and all this. So, I mean, and he's got two and a half times the amount of views as Sesame Street on YouTube. Is that that he might be the next Sesame Street? I'm not saying he is, but it's it's very easy to see that path. I mean, um, he's probably more, you know, whatever, three to five-year-olds are watching Ryan's World than Sesame Street right now. So what does that mean 10, 20 years from now? It's, it's um, you know, if they can sort of expand beyond just him because he's going to get old pretty quick, <laughs> um, uh, you know, or, or Coco Melon or any of these. Sure. Like the, the, these aren't necessarily like great, you know, one to two man businesses. They, they, these are, I mean, that's a, billion dollar business basically Mm -hmm. yeah you're right and that's the brilliance of you know what chris and the team have built at pocket watch is they identified it's not about scale it's about you know finding these influencers where you can develop ip and that you know can reach a big audience but you don't need 
tens of thousands of influencers to do that. You can do it with the right, you know, smaller group of talent. And yeah, the Coco Melon success story and what they're doing with Moonbug, it's the same thing, right? Talking with Patrick recently, it's, it's all about, okay, how do we, you know, develop IP, think about the brand strategy, create really engaging content and focus more on the quality over quantity. Don't just, you know, the social algorithms tend to make you think, oh, I need to upload every day. Coco Melon said, you know, forget that. We're going to focus on creating one premium 3D animation video for toddlers um, every week. And that's led to their meteoric growth. So sometimes you have to be a bit contrarian in terms of what the typical playbook might be on social to really find that next level of success. Yeah, big time, big time. Nice. What does the future hold for Mechanism? What, uh, what are you guys cooking up for next year? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, next year's looking good. I mean, I think uh, broadly speaking, it's, um, you know, we're really focused on growth. Um, you know, it's, it's looking like 2021 is going to be a good year, which is great given, um, you know, at the start of all this in March, I think we were all a bit worried. Um, but I think our focus really is sort of a realignment in terms of balancing performance with with brand and um you know now it's it's not enough to sort of create great um work that promotes the brand it's also got to be effective and so we're doing some sort of restructuring internally to um, get everyone working a bit more integrated a little bit more lean and and faster um because so much of it is the ability to be relatively nimble and so um, you know, getting, getting a, a lot more of the, the social people in earlier, that all that stuff is, is a big part of the process for next year. For sure. Very good. Well, we'll look forward to that. And, and Brendan, one of my favorite questions to ask everyone who comes on the show is, you know, thinking about the white space out there, the opportunity that you might identify as an entrepreneur. If you were to start a new business in the digital media space today, what would you do? Okay, I've I've got a few. Um, one, if if I just like had to start a business and start generating revenue tomorrow, I'd probably just start uh, a TikTok influencer agency or a management company. Uh, that's not going away anywhere anytime soon, um, and it's just going to be growing. Um, the other would be potentially um, uh, a live streaming e-commerce play. I don't know exactly what to be honest. Because I don't think you'd want to develop, you don't. I don't think you can compete with like an Amazon Live. Like there's going to be a handful of platforms, and like I wouldn't try and try and build one of those. But it, maybe it's tools, or maybe it's like a talent network. Yeah, um, I think what network is doing is really cool in that space. Oh my gosh, yeah, those guys are killing it. And yeah. um, Max uh, uh, Benader is is doing some cool stuff in the space. Definitely. And. Um, so I, I think there's something really big there. Um, and then what was the other one? Yeah, and then the other would probably be um, developing a product with an influencer. Because um, that's sort of low-hanging fruit. Yeah, I think those are probably the three that, that immediately come to mind. Yeah, all good ideas. And it's clear there's no shortage of them. Yeah, like lots of opportunity as the space continues to grow really quickly. Right on. Brendan, where can people find out more about you and more about Mechanism? Uh, yeah, I mean, just uh, Google my name. Um, you'll see my my website, my you know, LinkedIn, uh, whatever platform of choice you've got, um, it'll pop up. Follow me. But um, I would say, uh, uh, if you can sign up for my newsletter, I think that's the sort of like new 
thing that I'm focused on. And, and I've, I am rolling out some, what I would like to think uh, is some pretty cool stuff. So, Right on. Well, I encourage everybody to, yeah, check out your newsletter for sure. Follow your LinkedIn updates. Maybe even watch your content on TikTok as you continue to grow your audience there and experiment. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, super cool. And, and Mechanism always doing amazing, innovative things in the social space. So I encourage people to check that out. As yeah, well. yeah. And it's Mechanism with a K. Sorry, I, I was so focused on myself. <laughs> no worries, man. Got to build that personal brand. There we go. Well, Brendan, dude, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure getting to chat and pick your brain about everything going on in the, in the digital space, what's, what's changing in social media heading into 2021. So thanks again for sharing your insight and perspective. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is, this is a lot of fun. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time.